Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I said amen. Amen. This year and today, understanding is your portion in Jesus' name. Amen. From last year, what I used to pray for personally for myself is that God, I want skill and understanding. That was because um, that was what um, the angel said to Daniel. I have come to give you skill and to give you understanding. That is what you will receive again today in Jesus' name. Amen. And that is what you increase in, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. All right, let's um, start our um, series of messages today, which I titled The Pursuit of God. I was having a number of issues in my heart concerning how to go about this. I have two things which I want to preach. One of them I've been threatening for a while that I will do it. That's studying the book of Ecclesiastes in our school of Bible exegesis. But then as we're preparing for the year and meditating and experiencing things, I realized that we had to start this year by teaching on, uh, let me put it like this, being serious as a believer. So I titled the set of messages, The Pursuit of God. And I want to talk about that. For a while, then when I was meditating, I realized that that is actually founded upon what we wanted to study from the book of Ecclesiastes. Because Solomon helped us to understand. If you look at that book, what Solomon did was to show that there is nothing else worth pursuing in life apart from God. Are you getting my point? So I, I end up having two things side by side, which are saying the same thing. So I've been thinking of how I will do it. So I think for that reason, we may have to fall back to our old method of teaching like this on Saturdays and then doing our School of Bible Exegesis or School of Prayer on Tuesdays. All right, let's go to the book of Luke chapter 16. Uh, let's start from verse um, 1. I think that's, that's good to start with. He said, now he was also saying to the disciples, and he was telling them another um, parable. There was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called to him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? Now this is my problem. I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. He came to an, a conclusion concerning how to solve his predicament that he was about to get into. I know what, sh- what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the man- management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And that one said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Slash it in half for him. In verse 7, he said to another, How much do you owe? And that one said, A hundred measures of wheat. This is classic corruption. 
And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Slash that one on down by 20%. You will notice something. He will slash them by different amounts. One by 50%. This one by 20%. Now that tells me he was very calculated in the favors he was doing. So that it will pass and nobody will notice. But his master found out. And that's why we are talking about it. In verse 8, the Bible says that Jesus was speaking. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of his age, Jesus was saying, are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Now please, I want you to notice what he's saying here. Let me read the New Living Translation. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the, with the world around them than are the children of light. That is, in dealing with their own kind, the children of light are not as dedicated and as diligent in handling their own matters. Now, that said, and I say to you, I'm back to New, New American Standard now. Make, sons for, uh, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon or the wealth of unrighteousness. So that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now please, at this point, let me break and give you the, the rendering given by uh, this man, R.W. Bollinger, in his Bible, the Companion Bible. He said it was a rhetorical question Jesus was asking. This was how he rendered this. That Jesus said, am I now saying to you that because these people are like this, you should do the same thing? He said, no. This is what I am saying to you, verse 10. He who is faithful in the very little thing is faithful also in much. Jesus was not teaching his disciples to become dishonest. And that's my teaching for this season. Exactly what Jesus was teaching his disciples. He was not saying make friends for yourself with money, so that when you are taken out of your employment, you will have people take you in. That is against the principles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was why Bollinger said, Jesus was asking that, is this what I'm, because he's a Greek scholar, he said, Jesus said, is this what I'm saying to you? He said, no, this is what I'm saying, verse 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing, is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth or mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And he said in verse 12, And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, that is belonging to somebody else, who will give you that which is your own? So you can see Jesus was not telling them to be unfaithful. Now please, I need to read verse 13, and I'll stop reading here. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let me just use the King James English there. Alright, the Lord is good. That's the foundation for what I want to teach on the pursuit of God. We spoke briefly about this some time ago, I think last year. And I, but I want to sit on it for this season. If you're around on Tuesday, I expressed some things that I have personally experienced over the last um, few weeks. And this is where I went on break here. And then now that we're returning. And <laughs> the Lord is good. 
so that I'm laughing. You know, if, if it was possible to be discouraged, I would have been discouraged. Now, the president of Nigeria cannot discourage me. My faith cannot be shaken by him. Do you know why? My faith was never built on him. Never. Never. When people hear, you know, when these last elections were, that's Nigerian elections, I'm not talking about American elections, all right? Nigerian elections. When the heat was on, some people heard me preach and they were surprised. At the, there were two main candidates we know, our current president and the former president. And they were surprised at the person I was going to vote for. Because when I, they heard my messages, they assumed I was voting for Mr. A. But when we spoke, I thought I would be voting for Mr. B. And why was it like that? What I preached is the word of God. They interpreted it and said, this man must be voting for this fellow. But my, what I had as my opinion was not the word of God. It's just, what I mean by, it's just personal preference. So people like um, goats as pets. No, no I mean, both people, they keep goats as pets. Why some we say our pets that we like, is a tarantula. Are you getting my point? There are all kinds of human beings around in the world. They keep anything. In the same manner, I may like a president that says he's going to keep goats in Asorok. And somebody says, I'm going to bring in wild, uh, rare, exotic tarantulas. And for that reason, I'll vote for that person. You don't know. But when I'm preaching the word of God, I'm objective. I wrote an article then, a small teaching, which one of my brothers circulated it widely, on how a Christian should handle the time of elections. Reason was that he saw me, I balanced everything. Most people who read when he heard me, they were surprised when I told them who I voted for. Voting and preaching are two different things. Many pastors make that mistake. They think they have the right to use this pulpit to persuade people to agree with them. Let me just say all of these things to help people who are thinking about how to manage. There's, there's a principle, there's ethics that's appropriate for you as a preacher. Let me just drop a few. Don't market anything from here. If members of your church come up and say they have this beautiful project that's going to make everybody in church rich, shake their hands, bless them, pray for them. Don't talk about it from the pulpit. Even if you agree with them 105%. Once you mount this pulpit, is the word of God, period. You don't, at least don't promote anything. I've heard preachers, they do it. Oh, please, if you will move your, this is in America now. If you move your phone services to this particular company, they are promised to support missions with part of their profits and all of that. The day I was watching this on TV, I just said, this is my brother. Don't, this, is, this is not right. People will manipulate you like that. They know what you want to hear. When I was in school, people came to our fellowship, student union people, that, you know, we have to take this thing away from unbelievers. That's your problem. I will not give you the platform of my fellowship to promote your agenda, no matter how Christian it is. Politics and church are two different things. That is why preachers get messed up all the time. There's a famous preacher whose name, if I mention, and I quote him a lot when I'm preaching from here. I used to subscribe to his mailing list. But when he wouldn't stop campaigning for Republicans, I deleted him, myself, from his mailing list. This interesting part, I agreed with him on almost every point. Except that I did not subscribe to you to hear American politics. But this is just something for us Christians, uh, for us preachers. Don't do it. A church member is selling something, he can't sell from your pulpit. You can't recommend him from your pulpit. One of our brothers the other day called me, we were talking about it. 
He works for a very big multinational company. So one day he was appointed as one of the, the pre-qualifiers. If you want to subscribe, if you want to do business with their company, they will interview you, all right? You, they read your proposal. They come to your company. They inspect it, you know, to make sure you meet the best standards in the world. So one of those days, one guy bidded for a job. And the guy did everything. At the end of the day, he said they have like five or six on their panel. And they all concluded that this guy is not good. Then the guy found out that he's a Christian. Now listen to this point. The man bidding for this job found out that he's a believer. So the guy picked the phone and called him. And said, you see, as brethren, we stand up for one another. Are you seeing what I'm saying? That if it's an Oboni man now, Oboni man does not care about any other thing. He will stand for his Oboni brother. So he told him, if you ever call me again, you want the guy, I hung the phone on him. Of course, they didn't give him the job. For the simple reason that he's not good. Christianity does not help you cut corners. It makes you excellent. You've heard me say it before. As a Christian, you don't go and testify, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When we did the interview, I was such an idiot, I got zero. But my God is able. My able God, see, got me the job. Favor is not fair. When it's your turn for favor, it's your turn for favor. You are a complete idiot if you talk like that. God doesn't behave like that. When God wants to manifest himself, he said you have been called to show forth what? His excellencies. He didn't say, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God, I know you have a covenant with your God, enter into my service. He said, no, I have tested you and found you to be ten times better than everybody else. Grace makes you excellent. You think that David was going around killing every giant by chance? Ah, please, I've not reached my message. I'm just introducing my message, okay? You know, you know, I'm still on the digression that as a preacher, there's a way you use your pulpit. You know, that's where we come from. There are things you don't do as a preacher. That's what I'm trying to explain. But I think it's a digression. David did not go around killing giants by mistake. Even when he killed Goliath, listen to me, he knew how he would kill Goliath. The sling he used was not a game of chance. He knew that he takes me five shots maximum to hit my target. So he picked five stones. Why? I've practiced it before. He knew there was no way to handle Goliath in a man-to-man combat. No. That I would take Goliath down is not in doubt, but I would not use his method. Oh God, so many messages coming to my head. Because if I continue on that path, we won't get to where we are going this today. Because if you want to handle big businesses in life, only though you're a small business, you can challenge them, but you will use your own method. You won't use their method. Goliath said, we'll go to war. Let's see who will win. Goliath thought they are going to be doing bang, 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 Jackie Chan, you know? Now, what is it? This man looked and said, fine. The way you fight is, you, we must reach each other. I will fight it from a distance you are not accustomed to. How can I do that? It's simple. He looked at Goliath from a distance. There's one small part of his head that is not covered. David had used that with a lion. He had used that method with a bear. He had used that to hunt when he's hungry. He had used it. Goliath was not the first. He wasn't going to battle by faith. No. You know what I mean by faith now? 
It was faith. Faith is a constant life. He was going to battle knowing how he will handle Goliath. When he was going there, he knew that this Goliath, I need only a maximum of five attempts. No matter how small the target, I will hit it. And his type were not unusual in Israel. There were men that the Bible says could sling with the left and with the right at a strand of hair and not miss. That David has strategies for winning. Oh my God. When they killed Uriah, remember what he said to Joab? How could you make that, contact, that kind of tactical error? Joab said, when my Lord starts saying this, tell him, Uriah the Hittite also is dead. He said that he will calm down. Because he knew that what they did was bad battle strategy. Just to let you know that God didn't train his men to be going around winning by his chance. He said he trained my hands to war. I my hand could bend a bow made out of steel. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. This man had techniques that the Holy Spirit taught him. That just by the way. So whatever you are doing in life, when you are declaring excellence, don't think excellence is just, you know, I don't know, my goods are just selling. The thing that God is putting inside you will make your goods better. It will give you better customer service. It will make you a better person to deal with. It will make your company excellent. You will become an international company and nobody when they are trading with you from Europe or America or Australia or Asia will care whether you are a Christian company or not. They only care whether you are excellent or you are not excellent. That's digression. I hope you learned something from it. Back to what I was saying. That my brother, he said, listen, we choose based on excellence. If you are a Christian, reflect it in your excellence. They will choose you. Now what am I saying all of these things? Let me back to my message now. I'm trying to get back to my message, okay? So I was saying that as a preacher, there are things we don't do that from our pulpit. You don't give unnecessary advantages. I mean, just because you're a member of Redeem, anything you sing, even if it's nonsense, everybody must buy it. And you'll be an overnight, uh, what do you call it, best-selling author, best-selling musician, just because somebody carries you to the pulpit. It's one of our brothers. Listen, there are things I don't do. I'm not saying I won't recommend you personally, but not from that pulpit. Go there, let your excellence speak for you. It's important. Out of courtesy, we must we may talk to one another. Oh, one of our brothers is doing this now. You know, the way we, we just talk to each other. But I will not put the weight of the pulpit behind marketing anything. I will not put the weight of the pulpit behind marketing any politician. I will not put the weight of the pulpit behind marketing any goods. No. There are things you're not supposed to do as a preacher. You, this pulpit, God gave it power so that you use that power to promote righteousness. Many pastors have gone to trouble because from the pulpit, they, they, deal, they began to deal with business matters. They put the weight of the pulpit behind it. And of course, by the time the business went down, everybody looked up because the word of God is not supposed to go down. And the person said, I didn't say you should. <laughs> no, but it didn't work out like that. Now, please, let me just get back to what I'm saying. Now, I was saying all of this to let you know that when it came to campaigning also, I, that's why you don't hear me, even though this is a person I support from the pulpit, I will not tell you that. I will tell you individually. Now, in our country of today, okay, the way things have been going, that's where I was walking to, towards. My faith has never been in the president. When he came into office, I gave him my full support as every Christian should. 
Why? He was appointed by God. Nobody else on this earth can appoint the leader of any nation. Adolf Hitler was handpicked by God Almighty to be the, to be the head of Germany. Why did God do it? Let's just put it like this. That's his business and it's not my message for today. But did Satan pick Adolf Hitler? Satan doesn't have that power. American Christians prayed and prayed then. Most of them did not want Barack Obama. Even though personally, I wanted him for a certain reason. The reason was because I was a black man, but not just because I'm, I'm being racist, reverse racist now. All right? I wasn't being reverse racist. What just happened was that I was preaching a particular message in that season. And his winning that election was a sign for me for certain reasons. Okay? So that was a part of it I wanted. But Christians in America did not want him. And they prayed. Maybe apart from the blacks, a lot of the blacks, but I wanted him, all right? Because for certain reasons. And they prayed against it. They wanted his opponent. Uh, who was that at that time? No, not Mitt Romney. No. Mitt Romney was the second term. The, the former military. Eh? Yes, John McCain. Thank you. They wanted John McCain. But this man had a vision, and the Lord revealed to him, and many people who are serious minded, and if you're a prophet, one of the things you have to try and do is to clear your minds of all of all the noise around. Don't watch too much news. No, definitely you must not, a prophet must not be on Facebook chatting away. Are you getting my point? There's no you shouldn't have an Instagram account. What are you Instagramming? I mean, this world has too much noise that will not let you see clearly. So this man, he had a vision, and the Lord told him straight, this is not your next president. Even though he said he protested when he got to the council in heaven, that we don't want him. They said it has been decided. All the nonsense that Obama did against the church, because I've never seen an American president that hated God as much as that guy did. Never seen one. He wouldn't admit that he hates God, but every, I mean, according to Ed Cole, Ed Cole said practical atheism, it's not raising a fist and saying there's no God. It's living as if there's none. One of the reasons Donald Trump won this last election, people were just tired of the opposite. Donald Trump said, I'm going to tell you Merry Christmas. If you don't like it, that's your problem. <laughs> Obama said, Lila, it's happy holidays. Now, everything he did against the church, it was, that man was told ahead. He's going to do it. The church will wake up when this man persecutes them. I hope you have heard my point here. I want to emphasize the fact that it is God that rules in the affairs of man. He is the one that picks heads of state. So when our head of state in this country was picked by God, I raised my hands, I thanked God for him, then I began to pray for him. Until now, I pray for him. And let me say it to you again. Even though I'm trying to not sit, talk on my Nigerian matters alone, I realize we have a global audience now. So let's just speak on many things, okay? This is what I'm convinced about. There is no head of state in Nigeria that has ever existed that has hated by Christians as our current head of state. At least I've seen quite a number. I started observing leaders. I was a young boy then, but this from 1979. I became aware of who's ruling. I was a little boy, but I knew when Obasanjo handed over to Shagari. I knew when my seniors went to go and vote in that election. And I think I can say clearly, there is no head of state as hated by Christians as the one we have currently. Now, they believe they have reasons. Please, you must understand this. They believe they have reasons. 
Nobody thinks he's an average, an idiot. You just wake up and I just hate somebody. Many things led to it. But let me just say something that does not justify it. Please, I'm going somewhere in all of these things. Why do I have a different attitude to most Christians? It's simple. I have a commandment from the Almighty God. That's all. There's a commandment of God. With this commandment, I handled Abacha's time. With this commandment, Shonekon's time. With this commandment, Ab- um, uh, Shonekon was before Abacha, right? Yes. With this commandment, Abdusalamin's time. With this commandment, Obasanjo's time. Yaradua, good luck, Jonathan. They used to insult good luck, Jonathan, every time that time and call him clueless. If you remember. That was one word that did not come from my, from my mouth. Why? I have a commandment. My job is to obey the word of God and continually release positive vibes towards Asurok. As of today, Nigerian Christians, listen to this. If Buhari fails, all of you will feel it. But if he fails, you will be responsible. That is the law of God. It's not my opinion. It's not what I like. I'm not a member of APC. Just for the record, I did not vote for him. I did not. But the commandment of God is what I'm dealing with. Listen, every day, I will talk about it. You know, the Lord Jesus said something. When he was speaking, he said, nevertheless, when he was teaching men ought always to pray and not to faint. Luke chapter 18. He now said, he will answer his elect speedily who cry to him day and night. He said, nevertheless, this is the problem. Will the Son of Man find faith when he returns to the earth? That is, when he comes down to effect the judgment they have cried for, if he doesn't find faith in their hearts, he will return, he won't do anything. I don't know what I heard I said there. If they pray for prosperity and he arrives, okay, let me prosper them. He, look, he doesn't look at the environment, he looks at their hearts. If there's no faith that holds prosperity, he takes his prosperity, puts it in his pocket, and waits for the next generation. If he wants to give peace, and he arrives to give peace, he will look around and say, who are the people whose hearts are crying out for peace, and still crying out of pe- for peace in faith? And he looks, if he doesn't find it, he will take his peace and wait for the next generation. And the generation of the ungodly Christians will say, we knew there would be no peace in this country. And Jesus will say, but I came to give peace. The reason why there is no peace is that I did not find faith in your hearts. Not because you are so right in your predictions. Your predictions were wrong. But your prophesying came to pass. Did you hear what I said? There's a difference. Your predictions were wrong, but your prophesying came to pass. You said it will happen like that, because you said it, that word was fulfilled. It was a word of unbelief. When I came, I could not find faith on the earth. Take this word I brought, tell everybody. The failure of this current government will be the responsibility of Christians. And it has always been. Anyway, not on the justice government. For that reason, I'll tell you what Satan does. I'd like to talk about him these days. I need to describe him properly. Christians don't recognize him well. Most of the devils they see appear as angels of light and they follow him. They are waiting for the devil that has two horns and his face is painted black and red and is dancing against the music. Not in tune with the music, it's out of sync. And they don't find him. 
Then they create a, their own devil, which does not exist. That's why I like to describe the devil well for Christians. What I like to say to Christians about the devil is that number one, he doesn't have power to do anything by himself. He cannot scatter their prosperity. He can't scatter their health. He cannot scatter them. He can't scatter their country. He can't. The devil doesn't have that kind of power. He can't even make somebody sick just because he's angry with the person. He does not have that kind of power. Those of us learning the word of faith that time, we couldn't understand God in the, the way it was described by the Hebrews. So we twisted the word. When God said, I will not put the, 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 the disease I put on the Egyptians on you. They said, God does not allow, he only permits. The word put in the Hebrew is in the permissive sense. So they rewrote the scripture. I will not allow the diseases of the Egyptians on you. It's very funny because it's actually, actually, I mean, how do I say it's, it's funny. If you have power to do something and you don't do it, to you it is sin. That's what the Bible says. So even if it's God just permitting, he's responsible also. However, the permission of God is always a commandment. Let me, just tell you, let me say that again. If, if, if they tell you it's a permissive will, when we describe the permissive will of God, God has to instruct his permissive will to be done. You can never do anything behind his back. See what I said? God's permissive will must be instructed by him. That is, he has to command his permissive will to come to pass. What do we call permissive will? That which God does not really want, but he's been compelled to decree. And I can give many examples. So that we'll be in agreement. Let me ask you a simple question. Who sends people into the lake of fire? The devil? Angels? Who? God. Who destroyed the whole earth with a flood and saved only Noah and his family? Was it the devil? Ah, come on. I thought it was the devil that does every bad thing. No, it's God. Next question. Did he like to do it? Answer me like you are here. Thank you. He never liked it. Are we assuming so? No, he says so himself. He said, I don't desire that anybody should perish. He said it. That's his word. He said, for God so loves the world, so that they will not perish, but have eternal life. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. So his desire is that everybody will be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. But when they don't do that, he decreases their extermination in hellfire. That is the difference between the will of God and the decree of God. So when God says, my best example all the time, who will go to Ramos, who will entice Ahab to go to Ramos Gilead? That he might fall or perish or die there. It was not his will. His will was that Ahab would repent. And the first time judgment was decreed against the house of Ahab. And Ahab went home and prayed. What did God say? He said, look at how Ahab has humbled himself before me. And God suspended the judgment. God never wanted Ahab to die. He never wanted Ahab to die. When Ahab refused... To repent. God now said. Who will entice Ahab. To go to Ramos Gilead. So that he might perish there. And the spirit said. I will be. I will go. And he said what will you do. I will be a lying spirit. In the mouth of his prophets. His prophets by lying to him. Will give him the conviction to go. And then he will perish there. God said good plan. Now go and succeed. God had to issue a decree. For that spirit to do that. 
God didn't say, well, as you like it. No. He said, what, what you have said is good. Now, listen. Here is my decree. You will go and you will succeed. I hope you are getting my point here. Let's get it clear. Satan doesn't have the kind of power we think. I always like to explain that to Christians. The power is with God. The power is with our God. We are not supposed to be worrying about Satan. He doesn't have that kind of power. Let's go over it again. He has just a few things he can do. One, he tempts. Two, he deceives. Three, he accuses. Now, when all of these are in place, God now issues to him on a periodic basis, according to need, the power of death. Please, I hope you are getting what I'm saying here. That is how spiritual things work. I'm just, that's why Jesus said, don't fear anybody. Don't fear anybody else. If the person carries a gun and it looks like I can shoot and kill, say, don't fear him. Who should you fear? Fear only the person that can kill, open the body, collect the soul, and then throw the soul <laughs> into hellfire. So that's the person you should fear. So if somebody carrying a gun threatens you, this is the word of God. Don't be afraid of him. That's God's commandment. Please, I want Christians to get these things. Because I'm looking at our country. That's what is provoking a lot of this. Okay? People talk as if things happen by chance. They don't happen by chance. If God rules against us, we are at fault. He's always righteous. If things are not going the way we expect them to go, we can't fight the devil. The devil is not our problem. The devil is not our problem. Not because he's too powerful for us. It's just because he's not our problem. This year, let me advise you, if you go to a church where they fight the devil every Sunday, you are wasting every Sunday. You are not making any progress. Go for your church's next night vigil. When they say, this night we will kill the devil, carry your bag and go home. This is a night of destroy all your enemies. Just wait, because it's good to destroy your enemies, right? Which are the enemies? The enemies that said you will not prosper. The enemies that are holding your destiny. The enemies of yesterday. The enemies of the right. The enemies of just carry your bag. Say, my pastor needs to be born again. Just go home. The reason is that he's wasting your time. But if he said this year will destroy your enemies, say, where are the enemies? Said the lust of the eyes will not kill you this year. Stay in that church. That's a good church. If he says this year, the pride of life will not get you. We will destroy pride of life today. Begin to declare pride of life. You are gone out of my life. In the name of... Stay there. You have hope. You have hope. That pastor has been sent by God to help you. But the one that teaches you to point fingers outside, he's as confused as you. Find some, in fact, you start pastoring himself. God, come and sit down here. Let me preach this. <laughs> I know what I'm saying to you. Because all this magnifying the devil and magnifying enemies outside there are crap nonsense. These enemies don't have that kind of power. They don't have it. They don't have it. They don't have it. They don't have it. Power belongs to God. It is only you that can give devil power in your life. And if you decide you will not, that's it. You won't. What I mean is that he can't take it by force. That's why I said, don't give room to the devil. If you are coming to my house, I came with you, say, ah, Pastor, please, we'll come and spend weekend with you. Say, I know their house. What do you go do? Okay, their house, don't come. <laughs> what? Ah, he said, Pastor, me and my wife were already on the wheel. I said, don't come. Within your gate. Okay, I'm not opening the gate. What do you go do? 
That's how the devil, that's how he does. He says, okay, can I stay in your house? He said, devil, you want to stay in my house? Yes, I play good music. <laughs> Christians will let him in. He will cause problems. He now starts fighting in the name of Jesus. The devil that wants to destroy me. Next time he's coming, lock the door. Say, don't come here. How do we open the door for the devil? There are many easy ways that people use every day. Anytime you twist the word of God to get what you are not supposed to get or twist the principle of righteousness, you are opening the door for the devil. Fill a form. Are you married? Ah, if you write you are not married, they won't give you the visa. Once you write married, that is called opening the door to the devil. That's it. It is not you say, when you go and bow down, say, please, where is Okija Shrine? Here, or you bow. That is not the time you... Do you know how far Okija Shrine is from here? That is not when you open the door to the devil. It's simple things like, okay, fill this form. Age. Ah, they say this job is not for anybody above 28. I know you are 29. See, my mother is not sure of my conception date. <laughs> <laughs> that is how you open the door to the devil. You know, of course, you know my greatest example there, the one that makes me laugh all the time. It's all the men who are telling you that the devil is pursuing them. And the, the, the married man has a girlfriend, and he said, the devil is pursuing him. He now wants to go and pray. His girlfriend will now escort him. The girl will wait outside while he goes inside to go and see the pastor. And I was praying, every devil that says this man will not be promoted. Holy Ghost fire. The devil is in the car. Are you getting my point? Sleeping. Waiting for the man to finish the prayer. Then they will go back home together and invite more devils. Come on, foolishness. Let's get it clear. The devil, listen, don't, don't put him in your prayer point this year. Forget this guy. He's not your problem. You know, you know when people make a lot of noise in Nigeria today, they make me laugh. The Christians are so divided that the devil has room into their lives. And they now think Boko Haram is their problem. I've said it again and again. Boko Haram is not their problem. My friend in Sokoto, he said that when the crisis began, all, since that, more than five years ago now, the pastors have been praying every Tuesday. All the pastors in town, every Tuesday they gather to pray. That's why, look, people can give you every explanation why they had relative peace. But that's what I'm convinced is the reason why they had peace. They came to his, they said, let's go and get bomb detector. <laughs> My friend said, when you have detected the, the bomb, what will you now do? That was his question. So you get to the church, put a bomb detector. Say, fine, no problem. This man is carrying a bomb. What's next thing? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> he said, what are we supposed to do? So he told them, look, listen. There is no other help we have apart from God. So people, please, let's go and meet him to help us. And that, my friend, you know, is very funny. In the, when the crisis was hot that time, he now declared 30 days prayer in his church. He said, they don't want us to come to church. That's why they are bombing churches. He said, no problem. We will go to church for 30 straight days. And you know, members of churches are very interesting. You know, the Bible is always like sheep, right? Yeah. Members are like sheep. So they will all be waiting. When they see pastor going, they, they will follow now. So since he was always there, they were always there. The church was always full. 30 straight days. He told me, he said, they don't want us to come to church. That's why they are bombing churches. He said, no problem. So I will show to them that they can't stop us from coming to church. So we declared 30 days. Every day we were going to church. Every day for 30 straight days. Then when 30 days were over, they returned back to normal. What is the logic? It simply was telling everybody, our help is in the Lord. Now I'm going to emphasize something here. Remember I said something 
along the line, we didn't open to it, but it's just further down the line, that Luke chapter 18, that Jesus said that when the Son of Man will return, will he find faith on the earth? That's what the problem is. That's verse 8. He said, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I'm explaining all the prayers we have prayed, the Lord wants to answer them. And many times he returns and he doesn't find faith. And that's it. The answer goes back with him. I said once, my wife asked me a question. She said that Daniel prayed for three weeks. And the angel came and said, the very first day you began to pray, you were answered. Now, some people say you need to hold on to God for three weeks. You go and pray and fasting. But the angel said, Daniel was head on day one. What does that tell you? It is not the prayer and fasting of the second, the third, fourth, fifth, down to the 21st day that released the angel from heaven. Then some will say that was what brought the angel down to where he was. Again, I don't think so. Because Daniel was uttering the same kind of prayer, I guess, all the while. And he was not aware of the angelic conflict that was going on. Please follow what I'm saying. So she asked me one day and said, what would have happened if Daniel had given up praying after two weeks? That was, what, that was the first time I thought about it. And I, this was the answer that came to me. And I've thought about it since, again and again. And, I said, and I'm still convinced of that. The angel will have returned back to heaven with his answer. Why? He will get there and tell the Lord, Daniel is no longer interested. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It's not as if he's angry. Yeah, when he gets there, it will be... Now, because you must understand, for Daniel, it will have been a sign of giving up. So not like they are angry, it's just that it will be that Daniel is no longer interested. That's the reason why the angel will have gone back with the answer. No, any other, not any other reason. That is, it will be that Jesus will say, when I come, will I find faith in the heart of Daniel? When I will not find Daniel still in that mood of prayer, it will be because he had given up on that subject. Please, I'm going somewhere. I thought that many things happened to me over the last few weeks. About two main critical issues actually happened. But it helped me to see many other things that have been going on around. Both of them had to do with the attitude of certain Christians. And then those Christians were a reflection of what a lot of Christians were doing. Especially because I did not expect it from them. I hope you are honest. I'll explain for that in a moment. Alright? Now, I noticed something. I told my wife, I said, listen, okay. You have seen that God is faithful. We are the ones that are faithless. Please follow me. I realized that, now, please, if you were here on Tuesday, I talked about this a bit. I realized that most Christians in Nigeria of today, hmm, and peradventure, it's like that the rest of the world, I don't know. They are faithless. Any little blessing we have seen is God's mercy. People will say, why is Naira sliding against the dollar? God says, the Naira should be 10,000 Naira against the dollar. But for my mercy, you guys are sitting at 500. If I dealt with you the way you deserved, you will buy each one for 10,000 naira. And please, don't think it's not doable. Go and ask Zimbabwe. Please, so don't even think about it like, you know, exaggerating. Listen, listen. <laughs> Countries have experienced what they call hyperinflation. 
You don't want it to happen. So let's just leave that. Let, let, let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. Okay? But I'm going to emphasize something here. When I observe the way people behaved, I realized that anything we see is God's mercy. I found faithlessness in the heart of leaders. I've spoken to many of them. There are people who are planning for the country and they are saying with their mouths, there's no hope in this country. And somebody gave them power to plan. But again, that's not my problem. My issue is with Christians and their leaders. You still hear Christians say things like, there's no country called Nigeria. And you ask them, please, this is a Bible. Show me where the Bible says there's no country called Nigeria. And it says to you, show me where the Bible says there's a country called Nigeria. And I'll say, show me where the Bible says there's a country called United States. Essentially, we don't have the Bible to say there is or there is none. So we have to take what we have. And what we have says there is. Write your address for me right now. And they start giving you all kinds of philosophical arguments. And then people really, really make me laugh. They tell you, break the country into pieces. <laughs> I went to visit a friend of mine the other day. He's a Biafran Lilin pastor. How are you laughing? <laughs> I told him, sir, you have become a Biafra prophet. Some things led to it. So while he was talking, I said, let me tell you a few things. For those who like to break things down. To break country to pieces. As they want to start cutting, you can't stop. So I began to remind, I began to tell him things. I have lived in Enugu now for 16 years. I began to tell tell him my experience around. And because of my own natural state of origin, most of those experiences have not involved me. I've been an observer. So both parties have spoken with me on how wicked the other party is. I reminded him of Abia for Abians. How many of you remember that? I said, I hope you know, there was no man from Kaduna that said that. Abia from Abians was by the governor of the then Abia state against the rest of Biafra, against the rest of Biafra land. Three of us. I told him the story of my institution in which the association of consultants was divided into two groups. Consultants of Enugu state origin and non-Enugu state origin for the rest. And it was not for football macho. <laughs> it is for, for fight. And one of the consultants that said Enugu state origin, one day mistakenly sent a message to my phone. Why? Because there was, there was the time they were campaigning for leadership of Enugu state enemy. And he said that those of us from Usuka, they have been treating us as if we are second-class citizens. He said, we will now come together and show them that we He mistakenly sent it to my phone. So I went to some of his colleagues on the other side. I said, Nubu State Doctor, come and see. I showed it to him. I told him of the day I went to see one elderly doctor. Not too far from here. Parkland was just starting that time. They were just trying to build up the medical school properly. And I said, sir, you're a retired surgeon. Why don't you just go? And he was still young and fit, even though he retired. I said, why don't you just go there and offer your services? And it was in a rare field where you can help the place build up. He said, you know, I'm from Udi. Is this Nkano people that are running the place? <laughs> I was dumbfounded. I said, excuse me, sir. Please, offer your services. Let them decline first. He said, you don't know... 
Well, can't no people. I don't know whether he's Udio or they know. I don't know. And I was looking at him. Look, I'm, it's all, I know I was in the office that day. My mouth was open. Like, what? I told my friend all these stories. I said, you want to start dividing? They will divide you before this division finishes. And I told him straight. I said, so, oh, the safest thing for Nigeria is to find how everybody will just, and it's Christians. I don't even, please, I'm not here to talk politics. I'm here to talk about Christian attitude. When I saw, now, when I saw this, I was talking to a preacher. I told my wife, it looks like we are very few on the side. Oh, let me, I'm sorry to say it like this. We are very few on the side of God. I'll put it like that. 